time for your prayers. If you have your Bibles, to be open to Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, I want to start a new sermon series. Should take us about five years to get through Hebrews. Um, I think it took six years for Mark. Um, This is one of my favorite books of the New Testament because it demonstrates the work of Christ, the person of Christ, how Christ is the one who made atonement, who fulfilled all the priestly duties, fulfilled all the law. And this is a book that is primarily written to Jewish Christians. The idea is that they are being persecuted and have scattered across the Roman Empire, perhaps out of Jerusalem and Judea and other places. And they face persecution and they face hardship and they are discouraged. Is this faith in Christ proper? Is it good? Is it correct? Or should we go back to the Old Testament temple and priesthood? Some Jewish Christians are so discouraged, they're thinking of going back. Paul addressed some of this in the book of Galatians. And here also, the author is writing primarily to those who Know the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, and he's pointing that Jesus is a better sacrifice and a better priest, a priest forever, like Melchizedek. It's hard to say, but most scholars feel that Paul may be the author based on what's said of Timothy being his friend at the end of the the book. Some have suggested it could be Aquila or Apollos or Barnabas. But most scholars feel it's Paul and He's somebody who understands the Old Testament and can contrast the work of Christ to the way of Sinai, the Levitical priesthood, and the new priesthood 
in Christ. The book has to be written before the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Otherwise, the chapters of 8, 9, 10 don't make sense that Jewish people would be looking to a temple that doesn't exist. The problem is could we go back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and the author say, no, Jesus is sufficient in his person and his work. He's the mediator of the new covenant, and he is the better sacrifice. Look to Jesus. He's the one who saves. Don't look to fulfilling the law. Look to Christ. Now, in the first five verses, we have a statement that God is a God who speaks. And basically, what we have here is God's final, complete, perfect revelation to his people, Jew and Gentile, to his church. And what does he say? What do we see? So I have two simple points. One is, we have a God who speaks to his people. He speaks to this world. We do not have a God who is silent, but a God who communicates truth that we need to know. Everything we need to know is revealed to us. It's not like I've given you a little bit and looked through some other prophet for some clarification or a better way down the road. Jesus said there will be false prophets but the author is saying that we have a God who speaks he's not silent and what he says is the complete final revelation nothing else is needed not Mary Baker Eddie not Joseph Smith, not someone else, not Charles Russell, not Muhammad. Jesus is the final word of God. So we're going to see all 
these points right from these few verses. One, how God speaks. And two, how this prophet of God is the supreme, superior prophet of God. So he says, God at various times, in various ways, in time past, spoke to the fathers. Again, friends, this is good. God is not silent. He's not distant. He's not impersonal. He made us. He speaks to us. He cares about us. He loves us enough to speak truth and even firmness to us. Even Adam, after he sinned, God searched him out. Where are you? Well, I'm hiding because I'm ashamed. And God corrects him. And God covers him. And God speaks to Adam and Eve. I'm going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. You see, Islam says the Quran is the final revelation of God. They have bumper stickers saying that. But this is a false revelation by a false prophet, a false word. In fact, some of it was taken back. Muhammad said, I was given these prophecies, but some had to be abrogated. So here's something new. So we don't trust the Quran as being the complete revelation about God, about redemption, about life. God has spoken. Who did he speak to? He says here, to the fathers. So what he means is, I, God, for hundreds of years, have spoken to the forefathers of Israel. I talked to Job face to face. I talked to Abraham, sometimes through an angel. I talked to Moses. I talked through David. I talked through other prophets, both well-known and smaller, minor prophets. I spoke and they communicated what I wanted to say back to my people. Truth, sometimes boldness, judgment, firmness, calls to 
repent and believe. Sometimes warnings. But what we see, we see this in the history of the Old Testament. God spoke in many ways. One time, he spoke through a donkey. Other times, in dreams, in visions. Sometimes, he sent an angel. Sometimes, he sent an appearance of his son. A Christophany, or Theophany, called the angel of the Lord. But you see, he's a personal God. He communicates his will to his people so we know how to live and what is required of us. Aren't you glad God cares enough to speak to you and me? It's not way off billions of years, light years away. He cares, so loved this world that he gave his son. So God speaks in many ways. Major prophets minor prophets, men, sometimes women. But God not only gave the oral world, but he allowed by the inspiration of the Spirit to have it written down and preserved for us. 39 books of the Old Testament Jewish scriptures preserved by the Jews, translated in the Greek 250 years before Christ. So even the Greeks had a witness of the law and the word of God. But God, when he spoke, he gave the law he gave history. He gave prophetic words of the future. He spoke of judgment. He spoke of wisdom and poetry. He spoke of exhortation. This is our God. This is how he spoke. But notice... The author said that was the way it was many times in the past, in many ways. But now, this God has spoken to his people, to us, in this age, through his son, Jesus Christ.
whom he has appointed the rightful heir of all things. Jesus, not a false prophet, not an illegitimate bastard who usurps the throne. My son, who has my inheritance, I speak the complete final revelation through him. It doesn't negate what was said in the Old Testament scriptures and prophets, but now we have a new age, an age that exists from the coming of Jesus Christ and his incarnation. Through his death, resurrection, ascension, until he comes again. This is God's revelation. For this time, it's complete for what you and I, his people, need for life today. It's very clear. God has a son. And God communicates through his son. Now, God continued to speak under the Old Testament all the way through until he raised up a man named John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, great prophet that he was, only was the messenger. Malachi 3 says, I send my messenger to point to the true messenger. I send the voice in the wilderness to make straight the way of this Lord, my son. So John is the signpost. There he is. Among you stands one greater than me. I can't undie his sandal. I baptize in water. He baptizes in the spirit. And another time, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So, God has given to us the revelation of his actual son. Now, the author in the next few verses tells us something about the character 
of this son, this prophet. We read in Deuteronomy, he promised Moses a greater prophet who will replace you like you, this great prophet. Now even the Jews knew that this would be the Messiah. But they did not recognize it for the most part that this was Jesus Christ. And again, the word Christ means to be anointed as prophet, priest, and king. Again, this prophet stands and speaks and represents God in these last times, this age of grace, this church age, until he returns again as king and judge. What does he say? That this Christ is revealed to Jew and Gentile alike. Look what he says about Jesus. That this prophet is Supreme. Look at verses 2 and 5. This prophet is the rightful, authoritative heir of God's kingdom. He's the heir of all things. There is no other king of kings. No other king, no earthly ruler has this authority. So we stand on Christ's authority. In the Great Commission, he said, I have all authority on heaven and earth. Go and make disciples in my name. So we stand because of Christ's power, Christ, Christ's authority. It's there because this is what the Father appointed him to. This is what the, the Son has as his person and being. And notice he says, it is through his son that he made the worlds. He made all things. He said that, testified of that in John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. There he is as prophet who speaks 
of God and is God. Very God. Very God. And all things were made through Him. Nothing is made but through Him. This makes Jesus, the Son, distinct from other prophets, even Old Testament prophets. So we see the prophet is supreme as the rightful heir of God, the agent of creation. And he says, he is the brightness of God's glory. To look at Christ, you see the representation, the image of God. The exact representation, the radiance of God the Father and God the Son. Now, let's be clear. The scriptures teach there is one God in three distinct persons, but they are of the same essence, co-eternal, and Christ represents the Father. You want to know God? Look to the Son. The apostles were confused about that. On the night of the Last Supper, how do we know God? And he said, Haven't I told you? If you look at me, you'll see the Father. If you don't see me, you don't see the Father. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God but through me. And so, we see this state that Jesus is shown to be divine. The second person of the Godhead, but distinct from the Father. And he comes to accomplish what the Father's will is, this plan of redemption. So he's obedient to the Father. Not my will, but mine be done. The author said, he also upholds what he made. So it's not this deistic thought that God made things and God disappeared and left the universe to run on its own. No, God the Son created. God the Son provides. 
God the Son sustains and everything is upheld to God's plan and God's will and God's glory. Isn't this amazing that here we have this great prophet, the final prophet, and you can see how supreme he is to every other prophet. Greater than Moses. So the Jews are mistaken when they think you have to look to what Moses. You have to look to Christ. So to these Hebrew Christians scattered persecuted the call to them brothers and sisters God has given you someone greater than Moses a greater priesthood a greater mediator a greater covenant a greater way of salvation so look to him be encouraged that Jesus is sufficient and all you need and hope for. Now, to wrap it up, notice that this Son of God as a prophet also serves as a priest because he says, the author says, this Son of God Purged of sin, his people can purge himself because he had no sin. But this prophet fulfills the law, it's a sacrifice, the priest, and sin. Once and for all, taken care for. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus redeems us, purchases us. The blood of Jesus cleanses of shame and a guilty conscience. Wow, there's a lot in these couple of verses. A great prophet, supreme, the supreme word, the supreme preacher, the supreme priest, the supreme sacrifice. Rightly, when people got up and left in John 6, Jesus said, are you leaving? Peter said, where do we go? You're the son of God. You have the words of eternal life. You're a true prophet. Even the demon possessed man in Mark 2 said, we know you, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One. 
said to Mary, This child will be called the Holy One of God. Zechariah's prophesied of John, he will speak of the great one who will redeem his people. John, the forerunner of this supreme final prophet, he purged sin. No one else is qualified to be this redemption, this priest, but Jesus, the Son, the eternal incarnate second person. Isaiah said that the Son was given, a child was born in history. Notice that Jesus did this by himself. No other priest, no other prophet, no good man helped him. He satisfied God's demands of obedience and God's demands of a justice of justice all by himself. In Isaiah chapter sixty-three, where Isaiah had this vision of a great warrior, Isaiah is calling the nation to pray. Chapter sixty-two and the rest of sixty-three. But here, he has a vision. I looked, I saw a man, a warrior, stained with blood, coming up out of Edom, God's enemy, Basra. And he says, I alone have trampled the winepress. I alone am righteous. I alone bring this back to God's glory. This is what this prophet, this supreme prophet, did. He suffered for sin. So it's not, what can I do? How do I do a little to help out? It's, I rest in what Jesus did. It's not some other saint. It's not Mary. It's not of other than the prophet. It's a Christ who did it all alone to satisfy God's justice. And he says, when done, he was ascent to heaven to sit at God's right hand. 
This is no mere man. This is God's prophet. God's priest. God's redeemer. The one who made propitiation for sin. The one who paid the ransom for many. And I am satisfied with his work. So, my son, my beloved son, I bring you back to sit on your proper throne as king. Amen. So remember that. Look how great Jesus is as the word, as the priest, as the king. Now, just a couple quick words. We're going to unpack more of this in the rest of the chapter. This one, who is son, who is prophet, he makes it very clear. This person is greater than any angel. He's greater than Gabriel who stood in God's presence and did God's will. He's greater than the one called an archangel, Michael. He's greater than even the fallen angels. Because sinful man likes to look to the creator. Angels have some greater power and wisdom and ability than a mere man. Let's look at the angels. Let's worship the angels. The angel in Revelation said to John, Stand up. Don't do it. I'm not to be worshipped. This is the one. Be worshipped. The Lamb on the throne. So, the author is reminding us. He has a greater inheritance. And he's greater than the angels. Why? He has a greater name than the angels. Why? Because the creator is always greater than the creation. The artist is greater than the painting. The builder greater than the building. So we don't look to angels for a prophetic word, for a priesthood, for redemption. We look to this one greater than angels who has the better name. And what is that name? It's really simple. It's son. Yes, there are dozens of names attributed to Jesus Christ. 
Lamb of God, Rose of Sharon, King of Kings. But here he said, this person that God raised up at just the right time, born on a woman, of a woman, under the law, who you call Yeshua, Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. He has the name above all names, my son. And he's quoting here Psalm 2. I will be a father to you, and you will be a son to me. Now, it's talking more than just to David, he's talking to the one who comes. A thousand years later, in the line of David. Be clear here. Jesus does not have a beginning. Because he says, today you'll be my son. Or today I've forgotten the name. We kind of think of the word. To be God means an earthly father has a relationship and fathers a child at a particular time. This is meaning begotten that Jesus, the Greek word monogenos, is of the same exact essence or radiance of the Father. They're co-equal and co-eternal, but distinct as persons. Greater prophet, a supreme prophet. I'd like you to read the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of great teaching, which I hope to get to with God's grace. His complete, perfect revelation. A couple weeks ago, in our Bible study, we saw that Jesus is the truth. This revelation of his son as the word is the truth that you and I need and what the world needs lest they be deceived by their own heart by the devil by the ways of the world so we have to point people to this truth and we ourselves have to rest in, in this truth. And I know all of you believe, but we must point people to this.
this priest, this prophet, who made the only sacrifice for sin. Because there's no other redemption. There is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. And he says in Hebrews 2, to neglect this salvation is dangerous. So we believe it for ourselves, but let it be good news to others. Whatever way we can do that. Father, thank you for these powerful few verses. May we see Jesus. That's what we're studying. Jesus, the door, the way, the truth, the word, the propitiation for sin. May we see Jesus, our priest, our king, our Lord, our intercessor at the right hand of God. Help us not to doubt. This is a great, mighty Jesus. Mightier than prophets, religiously. 